Welcome, everybody, to Between the Lines, a podcast produced by the Louis Jacobs Foundation and committed to Rabbi Jacobs's belief that the quest for Torah is itself Torah. I'm Simon Eder, and each week I'm joined by a special guest who helps us to deconstruct that week's Pasha, exploring new insights and meaning in the quest for Torah. And it's wonderful as we continue our journey through Shemot as we come to Mishpatim, to be welcomed today by Professor Jacob Wright, who's Associate Professor of Hebrew Bible at Emory University's Candler School of Theology, and also Director of Graduate Studies in Emirates Town Institute of Jewish Studies. He's written a number of wonderful books, and also familiar to me from the Torah.com. And those books include Rebuilding Identity, the Nehemia memoir and its earliest readers, and also most recently from Cambridge University Press, Why the Bible Began, which is amongst the five best books in the area of religion, according to Publishers Weekly. So it's really wonderful to have you um, with us. And maybe to begin, if we might explore today Shabbat, and really what is the connection between the Shabbat of Genesis and that we read of here in Exodus? Thank you, Simon, for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here and to talk Torah with you. <clears throat> I wrote a couple pieces on Shabbat for the Torah.com. And they were longish pieces, and I spent a lot of time researching them. It was really a new investigation for me. What struck me already, going back to my days of just reading the Bible before did my studies, was how the term Shabbat appears in non-Pentateuchal text in a way that is not, seemingly not, overlapping with the seven-day Shabbat that we know from the Torah. And some of those texts are uh, in the prophets, let's say, like Hosea and Yeshayahu, Hosea and Isaiah, but also kings, where this woman, she wants to go see Elisha and tells her husband to go saddle the donkey so that she could travel to this man of God in Mount Mon- Carmel. And he says, why would you go today? It's not new moon and it's not Shabbat. So it's not Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh, but he doesn't say Rosh Chodesh, he just says Chodesh, and it's not below Shabbat. And then I started seeing, and this is not just me, many others will see this. It's like observations that have been around for quite a while through the prophets, where God says, I'm going to the Hishbati, your your Chodesh, your Shabbat, and all your festivals. And that in that order of Chodesh, Shabbat, and then festivals, or some kind of mikra or something like that, where you have some celebrations happening, does not seem to overlap. This is, by the way, in Hosea uh, 2.13, Isaiah 1.13, Amos 8.4, and the text that I mentioned from Kings is 2 Kings 4.23. From these texts that it's not, it doesn't seem to be a seven-day kind of festival 
or celebration or what have it's not a regular thing it's in terms of a weekly shabbat that we know but something that is parallel to chodesh so what is chodesh chadash new the new moon we still know that rosh chodesh is new moon what is shabbat i'm arguing full moon new moon and full moon and this is not new in so far as you find throughout many cultures of the ancient Near East, Middle East, throughout the world, that new moon and full moon are very auspicious, important times. And so when the woman who wants to go see Elisha, this man of God, her husband says, why would you go now? It's not either new moon or full moon. Those are the times where one would seek an oracle from a, from a man of God and receive some kind of prophecy. On the other hand, when we come to the Torah, we see these things within Mishpatim, our parasha this week, where we are commanded to every seven days, Tishbot, you shall stop all your work. Seven days, let's say like 2312, from Shemot 2312. Six days you're going to do your work. So six days you're supposed to work, but on the seventh day you shall stop, cease, tishbot, and, be, and it's really wonderful, your ox and your donkey and all your people in your house. It's the first, it's really a wonderful thing in terms of the first labor loss. This is so far advanced. I'm, I'm not trying to make an apology for the Torah, but in this respect, we we have to like just have some goosebumps because it took us millennia to get the weekly uh, day off. Within you think about the UK or not the UK, but England in the time of the industrial times, where where kids were working in the shops from without any days off, maybe once a month. And here we have a seven day, and you have to even let your animals off. I, I'm just, I get goosebumps from it, I have to say. But, so here we have a six, seven day thing. But the word Shabbat is not used. The closest we come is Tishbot. And it's not clear that it's a fixed seven day cycle. It's you can count it. Just whatever, wherever you are, just do six days and every seventh day you do this. So that one might do it all together within the village. But it's not clear at all that it's universal as one calendrical system. That's seven days are shared by everyone. The emphasis is on just whatever it is. Just make sure every seventh day you give your people in your household and your animals a rest day. So what I'm arguing in these pieces is that those laws of the seventh day, rest, it takes on the word Shabbat, which is full moon, and the full moon gets collapsed, if you will, or integrated with the Shabbat, and that's what we have within the Torah. Interestingly enough, with in Breshit, in, in the first parsha, with Shabbat, you don't find the word Shabbat there. The Yom Shvi'i, you shall rest. And there's plays on the word Shabbat, but it's not specifically there. And 
I think that's a kind of a transitional period. I try to make the case, at least I suggest it in these articles, it's a transitional period until you get into, into Schmote, where in the, in spe- especially what we call the priestly writings, where it's the this document that is one of the latest within the Torah, where it's very clear the seven-day Shabbat is very pronounced. And that's where it takes off. And we then we lost, in a certain sense, the full moon celebration. So that's my thesis. I'll let you respond and let me hear what you... I think it's, it's, look, it's wonderfully argued. And if I can maybe draw out on some of the key themes, but if I'm not mistaken, I think that you say that pre-exilic Israel commemorate Shabbat on the on the full moon. And there's a distinction between pre and, and post-exilic. I, I wonder if you could maybe just draw that distinction yeah. and how you arrive at, at that conclusion. Okay, so how do we get from one to the other? First of all, the sources I mentioned from Hosea and Malachim and all that, they're older texts. I think we most biblical scholars agree these are older texts. These are pre-exilic texts. And then on the other hand, we have the seven-day Shabbat, which is in, really pronounced in the priestly document, which some scholars still claim is pre-exilic, but most of us think is the P is a exilic or post-exilic. That's one thing. And we, once we start looking at Ezra and Nehemiah, which are clearly post-exilic, they tell about the rebuilding, return to Zion, and so forth, those, you have the seventh-day Shabbat in it. That's number one. But conceptually, you can understand why this would happen in as much as there's a move to have one Torah, have one text, have one one God. There's a side note. The Shema is pre-exilic, perhaps, but it's saying there were multiple Yahwehs. Yute Bav Hayes in ancient Israel. But the Shema says they're all one. There's only one. There's this move towards centralization, one place where our God wants to be worshipped and where God will place God's name, and on. A move towards centralization. What's the point there? The kingdom has been destroyed. The borders are no longer there. There is no longer a palace. Even the temple was, maybe the temple comes back, but they want to somehow find a replacement. They want to keep everybody on the same page. And in that sense, they're also trying to create a common calendar with the festivals. They're integrating two festivals, the summer, and the fall, and the spring festivals. They're doing all kinds of different law codes. They're bringing them together. It's not, it, it's quite impressive how they integrate and synthesize, but they want to have some kind of, unity on these things even if there's diversity in that unity and they want a calendar they want different kinds of things that are going to keep their people together wherever they are dispersed and abroad and in the land and the land for me uh this is a big part of the thesis the land is in the torah a gift it they move towards a land, but then when they receive the covenant, 
The land is determined on their obedience and keeping the covenant. And of course, then they are exiled eventually. So the land is something that is not, as in with most peoples, not absolutely essential to their existence. Israel becomes a people before they enter the land. They become a people out in the wilderness in Sinai. What then is most important for the Jewish people, in addition to the text, is time not space. We Time is what we make. We don't have time, we make time. I know you're saying, I don't have time, but I'll make time for you, and that's what we do. We create a new time order that will keep us together. And the one that we created was not one that is shared with other peoples. The new moon and the full moon shared universally. I tell my students this, if you were ever to be end up from a shipwreck and end up on an island and you lost sight of the time, you could figure out when the full moon is and when the new moon is. You could figure out the seasons. You could figure out the year. You know what you wouldn't be able to figure out? The day of the week. That whole structure, the seven-day structure, is mystical. Why is it mystical? It's something that is given by God to the people of Israel at the beginning and revealed at Sinai and on. So it's something that keeps the people of Israel together. And we have a hard time appreciating that because as Constantine became a Christian, well, even before that, the Romans started adopting the seven-day week. And in China, the seven-day week, across the world, the seven-day week is accepted and, and standard. We have to take a step back and, and appreciate that's a Jewish invention. And it was something that was delivered on Sinai to Jews, to Israel at a time where no one had had a seven-day week. No one knew what the Monday, Tuesday, all of that was. And they are creating that kind of plan in order to keep each other together, but they are understanding it as something that is the way God created the world. And it's the powerful insight to when we celebrate Shabbat, we are actually participating in the divine creation, that cycle. And just a side note, labor, that laboring and then resting that our God does in Genesis is so different from the Mesopotamian idea of labor, by the way. The, the gods in Mesopotamia create humans because they don't want to do labor, and they put it off on others. And our God in the Torah loves to work. He's an artist. He, God's an artist. And he... God allows this kind of order of seven days in order to affirm the, the, the holiness of labor and of resting in that cycle. So that time and being able to labor and to enjoy one's labor and the fruit one's, fruits of one's labors is something that is done temporally, and we can do that wherever we are, and it's not bound to space so that... Time takes precedence over space within Judaism, and that's some insights that you have all the way throughout some of the great thinkers of Judaism. A, a true palace in time, as I, I think Heschel um, yeah. said. I, I really wonder, just picking up on something you referenced earlier, just the name or the, the word Shabbat itself and 
how you understand the the origin of that. That's where it gets a bit tricky. We have within Mesopotamian sources this thing called Shapatu. And the Shapatu was on the 15th day of the month. They had seven-day cycles. It's very interesting. They broke the month up into seven-day cycles. And so it's not something like the seven-day cycle is totally new. Those seven-day cycles were not a week, were not somehow a labor where it was imposed upon it. I think that the connection that you have as the full moon of Shabbat becomes linked to the seventh day, seventh day is coming from two places. One is this command, every seven days, you should, wherever you are, just count seven days, six days and the seventh, let everybody off work. And then the Babylonian experience of the exiles who are in maybe even before the exile, but they're encountering some kinds of cycles and they are the seven day cycle they have. It's not a labor cycle. It's more of a cultic cycle. But then one of these, the second one, the 15th is Shapatu. And I don't know what the missing link is here. I can't find it. But to me, there's some connections there. I do know some people are working on this and may be able to add some new insights on this. It's I wrote the pieces just on the side. It's not really my central focus of research. What struck me is that no one really had written on this too much. And I think we need to think more about it. It's really wonderful. Shabbat is so important to us. It would be nice if we would also appreciate how that came to be. And, and also how, once again, how it just has impacted the world. I know you want to talk about the, you want to get into the weeds of the Babylonian stuff. So I'll let you go back to that. On the Babylonian piece, to understand really Shabbat's evolution during that time of exile, I think you've maybe started speaking to it, but yeah, no, good to understand the what the power of exile had on the evolution of of Shabbat. Yes. And the evolution of the Torah and the evolution of our understandings of the land, that the land is not essential to us, that we're not somehow autochthonous, that the land is a gift and that there were peoples in the land before and that it's a fraught question, continues to be a fraught question. But what's essential to Judaism is time. And that time, the prioritization of time, has to be connected to the exile where they're being torn from their land. And they have to then say, hmm, we can be a people without a king. We can be a people without our land. What makes us a people? And they start answering that question in various ways. And my book, um, Why the Bible Began, really takes that on from various perspectives. And I do a lot with time and Shabbat and so forth. But it's the invention of these things to really um, ask for the first time, how can we be a people when we don't have a kingdom or when we don't have our land? And that sets a new thing in motion intellectually and politically. And Shabbat is very much linked to that. We think of Shabbat as a religious thing, and it is very much a religious thing, but it's also just a, it's so crucial to the survival of a political community in the absence of that land. Maybe just bringing us up to date, I, I wonder really how you see the importance of this scholarship for 
our understanding today and how we can continually make the importance and meaning for Shabbat today relevant, given this historical understanding of its evolution and and its place within Torah as well. Mm -hmm. I'm a Jewish professor in a school of Christian theology at Emory University. I belong to Jewish studies, but I also belong to this Candler School of Theology. It's my home there. And I train pastors. And I have colleagues, and one colleague in particular, Ryan Bonfilio, who teaches a course on Shabbat, Sabbath, the Sabbath for Christian ministers. And they're very interested in learning how to have that Sabbath gift um, in a way that they can appreciate as non-Jews. It's not trying to appropriate Jewish Shabbat and not like sometimes Christians want to have their Christian Passover. That's not what it's about. It's about noticing how powerful um, the rest is in a cycle and understanding how that cycle is going to help us flourish in the world. And so I would say that's one place to begin is to notice that Christians are very interested in 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 tapping into that gift. Number two, as I mentioned, the Shabbat or the seventh day cycle week is universally accepted. And we're trying to move now even to more rest. The Torah set that emotion. And we need to appreciate that. We need to step back and say, this is Saturday and this is Sunday because of us, because of our our Torah. And then we need to take a little step back and think, how did this come to be? That's important. Finally, though, I would think that the most important part is the affirmation of labor that is so central to this, that our God labors as an artist with his words above all Elohim. I, By the way, I would say Elohim is not his, just I like that Elohim is God's self. So God's self uses words to create. But God's self also loves to work as an artist, but also labor. And then we, in imitatio dei, imitating our God, we also labor. This is not imposed upon us in some way that is to alleviate the the gods from the labor, but it's something in which we participate in divine, what I call continua creatio, the continuing creatio, the continuing creation uh, work, and we participate in this divine activity. and, And to enjoy that is so central to Shabbat. Shabbat is when we look back on a week and say, yes. That's when our God looked back on on six days and said, yes. And if we don't keep that Shabbat, if we don't have that break, we don't have the opportunity to look back on it. So the affirmation of labor, I think also keeping Shabbat also reinvigorates us on Sunday to go back with refreshed energy to engage in a week. And I noticed that Jews who have left Shabbat lose that kind of cycle that is so refreshing and replenishing. Yes, it is something that I think that has to be really celebrated. Christians are noticing it, how important it is. And and if if for those who have ever stopped keeping Shabbat, they'll realize how powerful it is. Professor Wright, thank you so much for taking us through your wonderful 
thesis and sharing your scholarship today with us and also bringing it up to the present as well and making important messages, particularly in our world today. Really a huge thank you. I appreciate you, Simon, what you're doing. And it's very good work. And by the way, as I told you in email, I really loved your articles. A couple of them were just that I read were just really fantastic. Keep up the good work. We need more of you. That, very kind. Thank you so much for, for your blessing for, for this podcast and look forward to welcoming you back uh, again. I, I look forward to coming back. Bye now. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please do remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more about our information and our work on our sites, louisjacobs.org and also jewishquest.org. We do look forward to tuning in again next week as we continue our quest together. Thank you.